All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Wally and Mathot Show, powered by Barhaven Ford. Now here are your hosts, Brent Wallace and Mark Mathot. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wally and Mathot Show. I'm Brent Wallace. He's Mark Mathot, I think. Are you like in a witness protection program? What sec, or maybe I'm avoiding the expansion draft this time around. <laughs> Hopefully nobody knows you're there if you just sit quietly and nobody will pick you up. <laughs> Okay, I trust you, brother. And I know you guys would protect me, so there's no issue here. Okay, we're just going to call you Dion the rest of the show. Um, This is the Wally Mathot Show, powered by Barhaven Ford. Check out their new lineup of Roush-inspired BFC custom vehicles at barhavenford.com or, of course, stop by 555 Dealership Drive in Barhaven. By the way, we're coming down to the final week for their ticket giveaway contest. More on that later in the show. All right, lots to get to today on the show, Mark. We're going to call this the Expansive Expansion Show. Uh, so we have one of the sharpest minds in hockey that's going to join us in the chat, TSN's Director of Scouting, Craig Button, also a former general manager himself. Um, that's brought to you by whitewaterbeer.ca. Use the 15% off Wally Mathot coupon code at shopwhitewater.ca and load up on all of their lovely, tasty Dawn Patrol or their New England IPAs. Anyway, uh, getting thirsty thinking about it. Uh, remember, that's always brewed by friends for friends. Uh, and we're going to deep dive into your expansion. Uh, <laughs> I don't even want to bring I'm scared you're going to come through the <laughs> Yeah, we'll call it an experience. Uh, we're going to take a look and see how it plays out for a player that's about to go through it and the experience you dealt with. Uh, but first, as always, Matthew, you know it. You love it. We are going to take to the headlines. Built to you by Bonisher Excavating Inc., BEI, 
helping to shape the Ottawa Valley. They also do equipment resident rentals. Visit BonishereExcavating.com. Okay, here we go, Matt. Minimal exposure. No surprises with Ottawa's list. At what price? Do the Kraken select carry price? Uh, you've been exposed. Notable players left unprotected and getting drafty. We'll take a look at the upcoming draft. And do the Sens need to select a goalie as it seems people are hankering for? Uh, mm. Let's start with minimal exposure. There were no surprises on the Ottawa Senator protection list, I don't think, right? No, not really. I think everybody had the same mock list when it came down to it. I, I don't know that there were really even any contentious choices here, right? I think it was pretty no. straightforward. I think more than anything, we're more concerned about who potentially we can shed a salary. When I say we, of course, I'm speaking about the Ottawa Senators and Dadanov, Colin White, uh, we're talking about tyranny. We're talking about the usual suspects that have been mentioned and floated around now for the last two months. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know what Seattle's planning here as far as potentials, but I think the list itself, as we speak, is pretty straightforward. You've got all the guys there that you want. And, and I think Ottawa's in a good position. Again, I, I feel like we're beating a dead horse at this point talking about it, but of course okay. it's around the corner. So yeah, I mean, when it comes down to a Wally, I agree with every pick. It was the right play. It is. So then who are you concerned about losing? And I'm not so sure it's who everybody thinks it is anymore. Well, you have, and I know, and, and people, Dadanov is a guy that's been floating around. I think that's just a player with all due respect that I think we're hoping on getting rid of just yeah. because of the salary, of course, and the lack of production out of Evgeny this past season. But, you know, I'm looking at other players. There's guys like you've got Decord, you've got Murray, you've got um, uh, Josh Brown. Um, you know, I, I think, and of course, Chris Tierney, who I mentioned earlier, I, do I know exactly what Seattle is planning? Absolutely not. I think it was fairly predictable when it was my turn to get picked that I was going to go, but this year, you know, you don't really have a team that was on a long stretch. Uh, there's a lot of leeway back there to choose from. It depends what they have planned. Again, if for me, if I'm looking at the, if I'm looking at the Ottawa senators, I'm going to take a pretty good, long, hard look at a player like Josh Brown. Joey Decord. Those are the two guys that I'm looking at only because they're more affordable and they're nice depth pieces. Okay. So the Josh Brown one's interesting because he's UFA. So do they select a guy on a roster that they can probably sign later? So I'll say no to that. The yeah. one thing is, and you brought it up is the depth player. I don't think Ottawa loses anybody off the roster. I think what they do do is lose something Vegas or Vegas. Seattle has to fill out. An AHL team. They have to fill yep. it, right? They've got to start to get depth. They got to have guys who call up. So I think right. you look at players. Now, Joey Decord is the one guy that everybody's high on. Plus, he comes with a two year deal already. The other, that's about the longest you're going to get on any guy with Ottawa. The other guys seem to be like a year. Right. And I think that's right. huge because you don't want to sign 25 guys out of the expansion draft all in one, way, one year deals. I know. And, and they're also be... going to sign, right? And they're going yeah, to we'll sign just... UFA guys. So, right. And to, to your point, though, Wally, with just before you leave Decord, that yeah. would be brutal, I think. And uh, maybe not brutal immediately, but just the potential right there. And we remember we've had the pleasure of interviewing uh, yeah. Joey and, and and he's an emotional guy. He's a he guy. He's a, he fights out there. So to me, that would kind of suck if you're the sense and you're the sense fan base. I think that's a player we'd like to see within the organization. But again, at this point, it's it's a coin flip. I depend. You make a good point, Wally. It's about depth pieces, and are they just looking to build up and insulate their their farm team here? Because you, again, you can only pick so many out of the league, right? So I I'm looking at two guys that kind of fly under the radar that nobody really pays attention to, and it's because everybody's looking at the main roster. I think J.C. Bodin and uh, Clark Bishop are perhaps two guys that come really? cheap that are guys who 
are call-ups who can fit into a yeah. roster spot and will play in the minors. Now, I think Bodan's contract, he might be an RFA, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah. the point is, you can't select everybody to play on the roster. There's 31 nope. or 30 teams, and there's only 22 spots, right? Yeah, So we may be overthinking it a little bit. So I, and, and Ottawa is set up perfectly. They don't have any long, real long deals except Matt Murray, and they're not taking Matt Murray. They're not. I, I'm shocked if they take Evgeny Dadnoff. What are you going to tell me? There's nothing else out there for you to try to latch on to. So no, no, they're not. Well, it, right? it's not even a conversation. If they've been paying any attention, yeah, I mean that's a no-brainer. You're not touching that. So again, so, you know, everyone's uh, got their little opinions out there. We do too. Yeah. And I, I think really when it comes down to it, it's whatever they have structured throughout the league as far as other picks that they're deciding on, I think that's going to come first. And then Ottawa is sort of the, one of those last bottom feeder teams at this point, as far as talent pool wise goes, where they can kind of pick the, the remaining needs that they need after those other choices. Yeah. So I'm, I'm telling you right now, it's a depth guy. That's all I, that's yeah. what I think. Yeah. I right. agree. Uh, number two, at what price? Now this is fascinating to me, this whole carry price scenario. Yeah. A day ago, I would have said, you take Carey Price at all costs because he's going to sell you $11 million in jerseys when it comes to that signing bonus. He is from out <laughs> West, right? His wife, all that. Like there's so much that ties in and you have a legit number one goalie. I'm pretty sure. Wait, yeah. I mean, top, they think, top three for sure. Top three okay? for sure in the NHL. Yeah. And people said, Oh, Mark Andre Fleury was washed up when he went to Vegas. He just won a Vesna trophy. So let's, I, now, now comes this mysterious injury map. I know. Yeah. And right? I, was, I was hoping you would bring that up. <laughs> is it career threatening enough that, like, is this now a hard pass? Or is this a, a la Tampa Bay, you know, L, LTIR situation where he and Weber just show up miraculously throughout the end of the year, this upcoming season. But I know I, Wally, five years left, you know, and, and, and that's a hefty cap hit at 10.5 million. I, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm with you on that though. If I'm, if I'm Seattle, I feel like you have no choice, but to pick him. And his wife's from like, like Kennewick, right. Which is like, I want to say just a couple hours away from, from yes. Seattle. The stars just seem to be aligning yes. a little too well for that potential move happening. So again, I, I think if you're a Montreal fan right now, you got to be sweating a little bit because there's some serious potential that he might be gone. Seattle Kraken are going to have a legit star in net. Are you not going to show up to see yeah. what he can do to and, guide this team? Well, what's, and what's the deal with this injury? Like, like I just find it all, all <laughs> too convenient to be popping up now. I mean, he had a very composed playoff. He looked fantastic out there like his old all-star self. Now he's got a knee injury. And, 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 and the scary thing is when I was going through my knee injury, um, I actually dealt with that guy. I believe it's the same doctor in New York. He was an option for me. I, I opted to go with the, the Chicago Bulls doctor and, and obviously Chicago closer to Dallas. He had a really good background, but, but the New York guy was highly um, recommended as well. And I think, you know, if they're already getting down to specifics, as far as the doctor is concerned and where he's at, there might be a little bit of weight to that knee injury issue. I'm going to come back to that whole Chicago Bull doctor thing at a later date. That's, I, I'm fascinated by this, but let's just continue yeah. on with this. And that is the other thing about selecting Carey Price is, uh, oh, I got two questions for you. One, who do they choose as a number one goalie if it's not Carey Price? And this is an oh, expansion I... team, don't forget. And two, <laughs> is all the uh, pomp and circumstance that surrounds selecting him gives those guys playing on the blue line and the forwards up front some confidence knowing, We've got Carey Price in goal here. Oh, yeah. So as we all know now, the effect of having a, a, a perennial all-star or, or elite goaltender, if you will, 
behind you behind between the pipes excuse me is invaluable it's so important and it's it, it it changes the entire dynamic of the team in front of you on the ice as far as the confidence goes what you're willing to give up on rushes it's a serious thing and again you can if you can snag a guy like Carey, i mean you're, you're right away becoming a legitimate hockey club i would think based off of what we've seen in the current model with vegas i don't see that dropping off too much with with uh, with Seattle, I know that they're going to be. I think the rest of the league is more prepared at this point, uh, with side deals and potential um, uh, moves that they can make leading up and sweetening the pot to protect some guys. But I think overall, you you snag a player like Carey Price, uh, you're you know you give yourself a good opportunity to at least make that postseason. So it, it, all this conversation that we're having on Carey right now is moot if he's legitimately <laughs> injured. And to me, that's that's what really it comes down to is the concern with his knee and his health. And if that can get sorted out and I'm Seattle and I know for sure that he's able to play next season and I've done my homework, I'm picking him. It's as simple as that. Okay. So uh, one, if it's not Carey Price, who do you think is the number one goalie? Well, Jake Allen was the other option, right? I think he's another proven number one. But he's protected. Exactly. But I'm saying, had he not been protected, that would have been your alternative, right? But right now, I think as far as your options go across the NHL, I don't know why you wouldn't pick Carey Price. And I think, I think at this point, just based off of the, you know, the conversations people are having online through social media, trying to get a pulse on what the NHL is feeling right now. I, I just, I can't understand the justification otherwise, other than the injury. To me, we've learned now based off of these salaries, that shouldn't be too big of a concern. That's your most important position. Yeah. Players like him, players like Vasilevsky yeah. have proven that you have to pay for it. And this is a, a prime example of just that. Okay. Uh, it, it's an interesting conversation. I, I... I'm yeah. almost wondering, is it worth it, even if he can only play half a year, or do you have to take a pass if it's only yeah, half it's a year? Tough. No, you need him healthy. Otherwise, it's not okay. worth that $10.5 million cap hit. I see. I, I don't know if any, like Matt Murray, Braden Holpe, Jonathan Quigg, Ben Bishop, are any of those considered legit number ones? Ben Bishop would be, but he's also had some injury issues lately, right? And I know exactly. Bish, he's a great guy, awesome teammate. Uh, but unfortunately, he's had a knee injury as well. So, it's like, what do you do? And this, we're talking goaltending right now. You need them, yeah. you need them durable back there. So we'll see. I, at this point, it's a coin flip. All right. So we're kind of off topic on that one. And we'll get right to number three then is you've been exposed. You know what? You're so distracting. I can't really even look at you with these sunglasses on. Anyway, uh, mm. notable players that have been left unprotected. So did anybody really catch your eye? Well, there was some chatter about Tarasenko from St. Louis. And of yeah. course, I played against him a lot. So that name stood out to me right away, but I know he's been battling some injuries and I know I've heard of some botched soldier, excuse me, shoulder injuries in St. Louis. And he's had some issues there with the medical staff. Of course, these are just rumors. So I would be reluctant to go with anybody who's carrying an injury issue. And of course, I think that speaks for everybody. And and that's a nice little segue off the Carey Price conversation that you and I just had, but another player, the obvious one for me is Gabriel Landeskog out of Colorado He's having contractual issues right now with the team. He's healthy. He's a good two-way player, potential captain material in Seattle. I just, I'm looking at a guy like him. And and of course, Yanni Gord's the no-brainer out of of, uh, of Tampa, but that's an obvious. We knew they were going to lose a legitimate top player there. But again, the surprises, the surprises to me are Tarasenko and Landis Cog. I'm sure there's other guys we could argue, but those two off the bat, we know that we know that Yanni Gord's going to get picked right away. There's no discussion there. But so a guy like yeah, anyway, you've heard you've I, heard my picks. Those are the guys. 
Yeah, I'm surprised. Like, I, I can't. I'm not shocked that they pretend they didn't protect Tarasenko because he wants out. So, right. Yeah. That's I guess one of the easiest ways just to like I will gladly let you go if somebody can pick you. I, but you have to do your homework, Wally. That's the only issue here. Like, if you're Seattle, and that's where the tampering can come into play, and you got to be very careful. But you got to find out if some of these guys are healthy or not. And some of it you might think is BS. They yeah. might just be, pop, you know, kind of posturing a little so that they can not get picked and, and save another player on that lineup. We know Tarasenko is actually unhappy, so that is a good example. But, like, Wally, you got to make sure these guys are healthy before you pick them because some of them carry a big price tag. Well, my understanding is as long as you are left unprotected, you have to have access to their medical records. Yeah, So that you, you, you get to, right? So I'm assuming yep. they will take a deep dive into all of those Absolutely. guys just to see who's available. Dylan DeMello, yeah. I'm a, yeah, that looks like so, a no-brainer to me. Yeah, and DeMello, I feel like, is a very similar pick to me, right? Yeah. I mean, you've got a guy that can that can still play pretty well, and he's coming off some some good hockey to a degree. Uh, you know, he's had some some ups and downs, of course, but I think he's a great player. And, I mean, he's a good right-hand shot D-man who's reliable. I really just see a situation where do you use, like, is Seattle going to use him the way they did with me in Vegas and, and use him as an asset and move him? We don't know, but that's an option. Again, I would like to keep him if I had an op if I had the opportunity to grab Dylan DeMello, but I've been I've been hearing a lot of chatter as as his name floating around being a potential player used as an asset for a trade. Ah, very interesting. Uh, you brought up Landeskog. This one surprises me. I, are you telling me that Colorado is not going to get their captain signed? I don't know. I mean, that's again, they're they're way off. Well, first of all, they're going to have cap issues otherwise. But they're also way off right now uh, between numbers. I think he's looking somewhere again, and this is always yeah. negotiation one on one. You're always going to oversell yourself yeah, as far, sure. and the team's obviously going to undersell you, right? But I know he's looking for. I think it was like eight or nine million AV, and I think they their initial their initial chatter was at five or five and a half. So obviously he wants a bump in his salary. I think he's been underpaid to a degree on his last deal. I think he was averaging around five and a half million, if I if I'm mistaken. So. A very interesting situation because obviously he's your captain and 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 credit to Landeskog. He's created a good culture there in that team, right? From what I understand, at least I haven't played with them, yeah, yeah. but he's created an opportunity for every player to have a voice in that room. He's really kind of made it an inclusive locker room where everybody can speak up when they feel the need to. And, and I think that's really in, in today's climate in the NHL, the way to do it. And uh, very respected, highly respected player who defends his teammates, plays well two ways. So yeah, it would be a huge loss. And that's why I'm so surprised that they're so far apart right now in the negotiations. Yeah. Anyway, I, I think it gets done. I, I, I'm, I just don't see Seattle being able to acquire Gabriel Landeskog, but I could. Yeah. Be wrong. I, I don't know. He's and he's a hard player to play against. I can yep. tell you right now, guys. Like, really, really terrific player to have in your team, and leads by example. Uh, and finally, number four, getting drafty. Do the Sens need to select a goalie at number ten? This seems to be the thing yeah. now. I thought going into this year, everybody raved about the goaltending depth of the Ottawa Senators, and suddenly there's no elite goaltender in the system. And that's why I don't have a whole lot to add on this, because I can speculate, I can read a bunch of BS online and, and just repeat it here, but I don't know anything about these prospects. I know Mason <laughs> McTavish had a really good U18, and we interviewed him. He's cool, but does he get picked prior? I, I don't know, but, but, but like, the thought of having to get another goalie. I mean, how many goalies do we need in our system at this point? I mean, again, if, if a goalie at number 10 happens to be the best available player to pick, then of yeah. course, 
I suggest go for it. I've always been in the camp of get the best available player. Don't try to nitpick a position because it never really works that way. And, and half the time, these guys aren't even NHL ready right away. So you have to well, give that- them a couple of years to groom up, right? So get, get the best available player. We've seen some other players. I've seen some of their names float around. I'm not even going to name them. I think Wallstedt was one of them. Yeah, uh, I, but I, I don't know anything about them. I haven't been watching, so we're gonna have to wait and see what all the insiders are saying. Jesper Wallstedt, Swedish goalie, six foot three, two hundred fourteen pounds. Uh, if he selected anywhere in the top ten, he'd be the highest, sw- highest drafted Swedish goalie ever. Uh, the other two, Jacob Markstrom and Oscar Dance, were selected thirty first overall. Uh, right. It's like, but you name a- so you name them. Do you, do we know anything about them? We don't know shit. So it's all good. <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> The, the 2022 draft manual brought to you by Mark Mathot is he's really cool. <laughs> Get it soon on store shelves. All right. Uh, we'll just move on from there. I, I, I think they select the goalie, but we'll see. Um, those are the headlines built by BEI Bonisher Excavating Inc. Helping to shape the auto value. Okay. So this is, this is the, my favorite part of the show, I think, next to the Craig Button interview. And that is we're going to, oh, so the hat comes off. It's time to get serious. It is. We're going to take a look back at what you went through in the expansion draft back uh, four years ago when you were picked by the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, that's presented by Faces Magazine. The July issue is out featuring uh, Red Blacks head coach Paul Lapolice. Uh, he's anxious to get that season going underway after all the time off due to COVID. Okay, Matt, uh, I, th- I'm sure there's some PTSD dealing with this, but <laughs> June 21st, I am in Vegas. It's the award show. It is the draft, the expansion draft. It's at the beautiful T-Mobile Arena, and you get selected as expected uh, 19th overall. You were the 19th pick, not that it really matters. But I need to go back. So let's go back. This started as rumors, what, a month before? How long before did you know that this was an opportunity or a chance that this was going to happen? Wow, yeah, it was a hell of an experience. I don't know where the hell you were, Wally, when the whole thing happened. You must have been behind the scenes because we were trying to dig up old tweets earlier and there was no mention of my name in your timeline. But in any case, <laughs> um, no, and I'm, I know you were busy. I know, I'm just teasing you. But in any case, yeah. So um, I had a pretty good idea. Roughly, I want to say it was about a month left in the year when like, you know, the chatter starts to talk a little bit and people start discussing potential mock draft lists. And I had a pretty good inkling at that point, only because, you know, of course you look at the numbers and Cody Cece was a younger player. You're not going to get rid of him. Of course, you're going to protect him. Eric Carlson, I don't even need to go there. And then Dion had the, uh, the no move clause. So of course, and I know I'm repeating everything people already are aware of, but when you looked at the structure, you just knew that there was a good chance. Now there was always potential that maybe Vegas was going to opt for a, a younger player up front potentially. And I saw names floating around too. But in the end, I knew that I was probably going to get picked. And of course, um, you know, by the end of the year meeting that I had with Pierre Dorian was 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 positive because we were finishing off on a fairly good note. It was disappointing. You lose after that great run. But I think most of the end of the year meetings were very upbeat. Mine was. But at the same time, there was that elephant in the room, if you will, that I think we kind of addressed toward the end of my one on one with him. But we didn't really dive too deep in it. I, we, we kind of already knew the writing was on the wall. So. That gets over with, you know, a month goes by a lot Wait. of talking. Sorry, go ahead. I, I just don't want to pass over this stuff. So um, sure. when did you, or like, when did you have conversations with Dion Phaneuf? Okay. So here I'll, I'll just, yeah, give you I, that was my next thing. Yeah. So we're covering this and all of a sudden it starts to come out that Dion has a no move clause and now they're going to yeah. have to protect him. 
or we're so I can remember we asked Dion like, is there any chance you're going to move this? No, you're going to waive the no move clauses. I'm pretty sure they had like no. And then so it started to be, well, who are they not going to protect? And it came to you. And I know that you now are starting to field questions from us. And I don't know if it's probably uncomfortable because like I don't know that first moment that you realized, uh oh, like I'm going to be on the bubble here. Yeah, no, that was that was really hard. And I think, like you just said, Wally, it, it got more real as the questions started pouring in and, and, and social media as well. I mean, I'm, I'm human, right? So, of course, I'm always checking on Twitter for updates on other teams as well as ours. And eventually I could just feel the heat pouring on Dion a lot, right? I mean, I could feel he was taking a lot of heat, not necessarily yeah. negative, just, just, just no. a lot of, a lot of, to- a lot of talk, right? It, so, it was negative because a, he had the big contract and people really yeah. liked you, right? You're Eric Carlson's partner. So like nobody touches meth in here. And all of a sudden yeah. it's now we're going to lose a fan favorite, a local boy. Well, and it turns negative. Yeah. So to, to that point, when I noticed that he was taking heat, I reached out to him like immediately. I thought if I'm Dion right now, it would probably be very comforting to hear from Mark and, and just have a conversation about it because it was like, it was awkward. And Dion and I always got along great. We were really close friends on the team. So I called him. He was in PEI at the time. And I had a really good conversation with him, basically telling him, listen, you've earned that no move clause that's in your deal. You have every, your every reason to hold on to that and exercise it. And I won't have any ill feelings towards you for doing so. And so that was basically the gist of the conversation. I think he was he was comforted by that. I felt better for at least breaking the ice with him and explaining that to him. And of course, you know, at that point we knew it was going to happen. And that was the end of that conversation with Dion. So I just I felt the need to do that because it wasn't his fault. That's part of his contract. He's got every right to exercise that. And that's the way it was left. So from there, of course, the draft rolls around and and I get picked. I'm at home with my wife and you know, we're watching it on TV and you can see it was very awkward, right? Because they got shots of Pierre Dorian in the crowd and he's kind of just stone faced about it. And the camera's right in his face. So I don't blame, I don't blame Pierre. Pierre had his hands tied. There was nothing he could do. And then of course with Eric, he's laughing, he's filming the camera and I'm kind of like, well, I guess I'm gone now. Okay. Hang on a second. I don't want to, you're going too fast. Why didn't Dion call you? What do you mean? Why didn't Dion call me? If he's the guy that's going to have an impact on your career because of what's transpired and because of how it looks in the public, why didn't Dion go, listen, Meth, I'm sorry. I've got this. No, I don't want to move it. That's a good question. I, no, I mean, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I, I, I can't, you know, I don't have a crystal ball and I certainly can't read his but mind. He didn't, but he didn't say like, I'm sorry, I didn't call you or anything. It happened. No, well, maybe he did. He may have in the conversation. Okay. He may have. I, I, I honestly can't remember. But um, he's such a first class guy that I would never question his motive. Like, you know, we're running yeah. a golf tournament in, in, in August and I'm looking for some signed memorabilia. He re- responded to me immediately saying, no issue. Just give me your address. So that's the kind of guy he is. So I would never, ever even consider criticizing his thought process as far as leading up to that draft. Sure. Uh, just a reminder, the golf tournament is September the 10th, not in August. Um, I don't know where you'll be in August. Oh, right. <laughs> Mark Stone's wedding. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now it's, it's the expansion draft is like the day before, like what? So leading up to that, like the week before, are, are you a miserable kind of person? Are you on edge a little? 
Uh, yeah, I, I, I wasn't miserable because the whole process is exciting, right? And, and of course, the idea, I did not want to leave Ottawa. I think that I made that very clear. But the idea of playing in a place like Vegas was intriguing, right? It's interesting. And I thought, you know, no matter how you slice it, it was kind of exciting. But, but of course, you're still going to be a little edgy because the idea of having to move, right, with a, yeah. um, you know, my wife was pregnant at the time with my first and we had no idea where we were going to end up. It was weird. And I don't know how else to explain that. So, you know, yeah, no, it, up, you're just kind of on edge and you wait for it. People are talking to you constantly and you don't have any answers because you don't know what the hell is going to happen. Uh, and so, and I get it, like the anxiety of it's the fear of the unknown, which always is what paralyzes people. So, right. Yeah. Did. So is there a choice now, you know, that you're likely, I don't remember anybody ever thinking somebody else is going to get picked from Ottawa. Everybody just knew it was going to be you. So right. was there any teams reaching out to see, about possibly swinging a deal like so the team's reaching out yeah. yeah so the team's reaching out that was after the fact right so okay um right so all I right so picked. no one okay no one's talking to me leading up okay so now that you're you're watching it at home uh are you alone or like just with your wife just with ellie yeah ellie was at the house with me yeah all right yeah. so yeah. what is eric so eric is at the awards right that's and so is it bugging you that you see him taking the video and, and like no freeway. no i okay. thought it was funny no yeah he was having fun with it and it's such an awkward situation right like yeah what is eric gonna do is he just gonna sit there and stare at the camera or you know it's an uncut it's there's no there's no playbook for this no like like at least the current for the current players i mean we haven't dealt with an expansion draft since the early 90s right so yeah. it's like what do you do eric thought it was funny and he had his camera up i was <laughs> laughing too because i already kind of knew at that point that i was getting selected so Again, it's just one of those things where, you know, Eric handled it that way, Pierre handled it his way, and there's nothing else you can do other than just take it on the chin and move on, just like every other team. Did you ever ask Pierre, like, any questions about, you know, why, or could you have done it differently, or, like, did you? No, no, you I did, honestly, yeah. I did, and I left it, because that was just the way it was, right? I mean, and you're going to see it again this year, like, look at Tampa, they're losing a great player, and yep. and you just you got to do it and you got to take your lumps and move forward and that's what you know Pierre did and that's what I did and there was no harsh you know ill feelings towards each other we didn't care it's part of the process okay so name gets called now yeah. what happens does your phone blow up I'm assuming yeah nothing really happened I don't think in fact I don't even think I heard from Vegas that night um it was the next day I want to say I was on the road, I was driving, and I think it was McCrimmon who called me, and we had a little conversation. It was really, really bittersweet, actually, and um, kind of asked, and I know I've told the story a million times, He's had, he asked for my 10-team, no trade, like, immediately in the conversation, which I don't blame him for, because I'm sure he was very stressed and busy, but there was no, like, hey, welcome to the Las Vegas Golden Knights, <laughs> happy to have you on board. It was, hey, Mark, uh, we selected you, so... Um, we're going to have to get a look at that 10 team, no trade list and right away. I'm like, Oh, great. Okay. So I'm moving. And uh, it was a very short conversation. It was professional, of course, but not the way I thought it would go. And so that was the worst part of this whole process was I get, I get, I literally get cherry picked from a team that just made it to the Eastern conference final. I know I'm going to be uprooted, but I don't know where I'm going. So I'm sort of like in purgatory at this point where I'm like waiting to be told where I'm going and that lasted for about a week. So during that week, this is where it got very interesting. 
um, my agent was going back and forth with me with regards to potential landing spots. And we, of course, had to curate a team. I'll get into that part first, actually. I didn't want to play anywhere else in Canada at that point. So a lot of my, 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 my team selection was really curated towards um, lower taxed destinations. A lot of it was money, of course. And, and beyond that, I certainly didn't want to play for teams that were arch rivals with the Ottawa Senators. For whatever reason, it just felt wrong. And I wanted to get out of Canada. So I put all the Canadian teams on my list and all the New York teams on my list because their tax rate is stupid high. And I put all the California teams on the list because their tax rates are, are really high. And so that was basically how I made it. And then from there, you're narrowing your teams down to, you know, whoever you would like to go to. And then, of course, throughout the week, I got calls from Toronto and Montreal, seeing if I was willing to wave my, my list towards them so I would go to them. And I, I was almost cowardly about it, Wally. I didn't want to talk to them, right? I didn't want to have those uncomfortable conversations with them on the phone. So I just, I diverted everybody to my agent, which of course is the professional thing to do. Sure. I know some of the coaches wanted to, I think Claude Julian wanted to talk to me and I know Mark Hunter tried getting a hold of me in Toronto and it just, you know, it just, I couldn't do it. I have so much respect for both those guys and I couldn't say no to them on the phone. So I told them to speak to my agent and that's kind of how the conversation went. I know there were a few teams out West that were interested as well and I just couldn't do it. I wanted to get out of there. So that's where I was left. I was at the keg steakhouse with my wife and in-laws when Jim Neal from Dallas called, it was some of the best news I ever heard. So that was sort of the, the highlight of that whole process. Okay. So much to unpack. I love how you just gloss over stuff. And then I got to come back to it is uh, first of all, <laughs> it's uh, McCrimmon is Kelly McCrimmon, who was the assistant general manager of the Vegas golden Knights yeah. at the time. Uh, secondly, you didn't want to play for another Canadian team. No, I didn't. You want to explain that? Well, I had the experience with Ottawa. It was special for me. Um, I felt like I ended on a high note there in Ottawa too, which was nice. Played very good hockey. At least I thought I played some good hockey in those last few seasons, especially particularly 2017. And the thought of playing somewhere else in a Canadian market was weird to me and felt uncomfortable. And I just weighed my options. I weighed the family situation um, and, and, you know, being able to, maximize my contract was also a big factor for me. I'll be honest with you. I could lie to you, but that was the honest truth. And I wanted to make as much money as humanly possible sure. in those last two years of my deal. And that's what I did. I, I completely, I can't fault you for that. And I don't think there's anybody who can. So uh, who did you, where did you want to go? If you, if you could have picked one team, did you have a team like, man, I really hope you know, they call it's funny you say that because Dallas, Vegas, Nashville, um, Tampa, Florida, all those teams were at the top of my list only because I never got the chance to experience playing in a warmer climate. I can tell you as a player, when you're getting off the plane coming from a Northern climate in, in Florida or anywhere warm. And, and I know Craig and you yourself, Wally, you've experienced this where you get off the plane and that nice warm humid <laughs> air comes into your face and you're thinking like, and you're all disheveled, oh, yeah. pale, tired coming from the cold. And you're thinking, boy, these guys are very lucky. And so for me, that was always something I wanted to experience. And, and of course, if you can happen to land on a team that happens to be good as well, like Dallas at the time, it was like the perfect fit. Unfortunately, it didn't work out in the end for me because I got hurt. But I mean, going into that, I was still healthy. I, I could never have foreseen that. So the way the process unraveled, it was perfect. It worked out well. Uh, the airplane thing is, it needs to be explained because when you charter, you don't go through the tunnel. You don't go into the airport. You come yeah. step right off the plane 
and it's right there as you go down the steps. Like when we used to land in Tampa or Fort Lauderdale, you're just like Fort Lauderdale. Like yeah. I've died and gone to heaven because it's now I know thirty back in Ottawa. It's, and it's not just that. It's like you guys know. Again, I'm 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 only speaking for everybody here. You get to your hotel and we'd be staying at the Ritz Carlton or wherever down there in Fort oh, Lauderdale, wow. and you could see the ocean. And you only just left minus 40 degree weather in Ottawa. And I can say this, I'm from here. I live here year round. I love Ottawa. I'm just saying as a player, when you get a taste of that, it's really hard to leave there being a little envious or even resentful towards those players, right? It's tough. Or even a media personality, you're thinking, oh man, if I could live here year round, that would be pretty cool. And again, of course, that's something that I think is only natural as a person coming from up north. The first time I covered something in Tampa, I think it was a playoff series with Ottawa. I called TSN and said, I would like to open a bureau in Tampa. That was the first <laughs> thing I did. And every year since I was like, can we get this done already? Oh yeah. man, it's brutal. It's brutal. That, so yeah, that weather is, is outstanding. Yeah, it's just, it's there's nice. something about it, right? When you get off that plane and it's just. Well, and Yaramir Yager made a comment about that years ago when he was still playing, he was in Florida and I, I still, I, cause it resonated with me. I can relate. He mentioned something about longevity and how playing in those warmer climates, and I think I'm paraphrasing to a degree, but it was something along the lines of, it just feels good for on my bones, he would say. Yeah. It was his joints. Playing in that humid weather, the warm weather, just gave him a little extra youth, a little added longevity to his career. Yeah. And so that always stuck with me, you know, when I'm like, okay, you know, if he can do it, maybe I can do that, which of course is completely untrue. I retired almost immediately, but... <laughs> Again, it, there's something to be said about playing in those warm climates. Yeah. That anyway, I don't want to brag on that. And I, I feel like I'm ragging on the city here in Ottawa now. But no, no. Yeah, it's, like, it's different. So uh, the one thing I do remember about Florida, which always, uh, as in Fort Lauderdale and going to the Panther games, you get the police escort in Florida. And, and mm. you rarely get that anymore. And I remember just the first awesome. time looking at And New Jersey. We would get oh, it in New Jersey yeah, as well. Yeah. But because you but really down by cool. the water. The, the, yeah. The, the, uh, the escorts was always awesome. Yeah. You, yeah. you just kind of fly to the rink. Did you shop at that mall across from the rink called like the Bell's Outlets or whatever? It's just massive. Yeah, oh yeah, that outlet mall is incredible. We would go to like Hugo <laughs> Boss and, you know, me being, being so cheap, instead of spending, you know, you know, a couple hundred bucks on a dress shirt in Ottawa or wherever, you could go there to the outlet and buy a bunch of Hugo Boss shirts and ties and it was dirt. It was great. What a, what a great people, setup for players. <laughs> but people got lost in there. It's so big. Dave Schreiber yeah. couldn't find his way out one time. The voice is out of his center. It's like, where well, do you go? Not only that, but but th there was like bars, right? So occasionally I'd be walking through <laughs> and you'd see like a lineup of like teammates bellied up at the bar, like just pounding beers. And I'm thinking like, ah, I think That's I'm going to join. And I'd walk over with all my bags, like Hugo Boss bags and have a few beers and talk to the guys. It was just a beautiful setup. Uh, finally, we'll get back on track to the expansion draft. We, we should probably just talk about cities in one of the episodes. Is um, <laughs> when you see a Vegas Golden Knight jersey or logo, what does it mean to you? It's weird. It's weird. I I was in Montreal for that the start of that series, the Vegas Montreal series. As a matter of fact, I went with my wife just for a night to kill time and get away, and we stayed at the Ritz. And I shared an elevator with Max Pacioretty. This is like just, just a month and a half ago now. And I had my mask and he recognized me. I was surprised. He recognized me right away. We had a quick little chat on it and I wished him luck. But the reason why I'm saying the story and I'm name dropping Pacioretty is because it felt awkward. Like it almost felt like I should be a part of this team right now, but I'm not. And I'm just going to walk my ass off the elevator and you can continue on and play with your teammates. But 
it's it's weird and and when you when i see the logo i don't i never really had any association with it other than of course the draft goes so it's it's kind of a it's kind of almost a bittersweet thing but again because it worked out so well for me as far as where i landed in dallas i don't really hold any resentment towards the team it's all good if somebody came to you with a mark mathot number three vegas jersey would you sign it <laughs> of course i would be hilarious i'm I'd say I'm sure there are some out there, but probably not. So I mean, maybe some odd family member that I have somewhere as a joke, but yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if there weren't any out there. Yeah, I might get one. Um, yeah, okay. I, I, that's the first time that we've ever really had a deep dive in. So I've always enjoyed uh, this yeah. conversation, but I think that to really the takeaway, get into it. Yeah, yeah. And the takeaway, my takeaway in conclusion of this whole thing is I think as, 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 as a bystander or a fan watching, you have to understand that, you're uprooting a player oftentimes with a family from their city and going off. It's a really brutal process and it happens really quickly as a play from a, from a player's point of view. And so I think we have to be mindful of that when we're watching, I know it's entertaining. We're grabbing popcorn. It's fun, but it is a pretty brutal process only because you're pulling a guy away from a team that he's seriously attached to. Like I had created some strong bonds with a lot of the players that I'd gone to battle with in Ottawa in 2017 and all of a sudden I'm gone. Right. So it can be tough. And I think as, as people, we have to be mindful of that. And I want to say, I would have tweeted about it, but I was too heartbroken. So I, I didn't, that's why that's what happened. <laughs> right. uh, that's Thank great you. insight on the uh, expansion draft. We look forward to seeing how this all plays out on Wednesday. That's brought to you by facesmag.ca. Have a look on their website. Uh, they've got one article, three of the toughest holes in Ottawa golf holes. I played Ooh. two of them and I agree you should take a look, Matt, and tell me what you think of the three. I will, toughest. yeah. Can you give me one of them at least? I'm curious. Yeah, uh, Equinel number two we just played, um, which is a long, I think it's a long par four. I'm trying to think, guy. I'm trying to remember it. Yeah, anyway. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. I'll take a look at it though. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, all right, coming up next, we've got Craig Button uh, joining us in the chat, quenched by whitewaterbeer.ca. Uh, their beer is amazing. Also, you can go visit their patio. They've got a great setup out in Cobden, 78 uh, Pembroke Street. Or get delivery. Shop whitewater.ca. The Wally Mathot Show, powered by Barhaven Ford, will return right after this. All right, pleased to be joined now by former National Hockey League General Manager, now TSN's Director of Scouting and an all-around terrific human being, Craig <laughs> Button. Uh, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you, Brett. Thank you for the very kind introduction. <laughs> <laughs> Math made me say it. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah, okay. I wrote it all you down. said it. What comes out of your mouth, you own it. <laughs> uh, Craig, before we get into hockey talk, I want to know about just the Calgary Stampede wrapped up, and I know you're a big guy involved with it. Uh, what was it like to finally get it back and going again? Well, I think at the at the outset, there was a little bit of, uh, you know, kind of nervous energy, I would call it. People, you know, were, I mean, it was scaled down to, 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 a, to a, I wouldn't say a great degree, but certainly to what it usually is. But as time and the days passed, some momentum built. And I, I think they saw that there was an opportunity, especially during the day, for, for families to be there. And then, you know, there wasn't the, uh, uh, the chuck wagon races this year. That was scaled back. Some of the rides were scaled back. But it ended up being something that I think uh, gave people an opportunity uh, to be out, uh, to enjoy, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, whether it be with your kids and the rides and just the atmosphere, if you want to go to the rodeo or the music part of it, it gave everybody an opportunity to, to start moving along a path 
to hopefully, you know, that mm. we don't have to look back, that we continue to look forward on it. But the momentum built and, you know, it was really good. I'm, I'm, I'm a volunteer at the Stampede, so I'm on the grounds and know what it was like. And I, I, I think it was really, really good and a lot of good energy to see it move forward in the way it did this year. How many cowboy hats do you own? Three. <laughs> wow. And, no and hesitation. Pair, <laughs> and two pairs of cowboy boots. So very nice. You know, I've been here 21 years, guys. So, you know, like and my girls have totally grown up in Calgary. So, you know, it it's either be part of it or just crawl under a rock. <laughs> like were you a country kid growing up? And I you were also in Dallas, so you're in the two biggest probably cowboy <laughs> markets in the world. So did you have to get indoctrinated in it? Not really, because Tom Hicks, who was our owner in Dallas, uh, he owned the Mesquite Rodeo. And so we used to go down to the Mesquite Rodeo and, you know, we used to be able to stand right behind, you know, the, the gates where the bulls used to come out and everything. So we got uh, the shoots. And so we really had an opportunity. So by the time I got up here, like I'd been to lots of rodeos and uh, seen a lot of it. So I, I didn't come in green. Now, you know, you, you spend some time here. And I, I remember the first year I was here in, in Calgary, Brian Sutter and Brian and the Sutters, you know, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of uh, cattle and a lot of sales, you know, selling cattle and calves and whatnot. And I remember being in the back barns with all those guys. Those were late nights. And so I'd never experienced anything like that. You want to <laughs> elaborate fun. on that? <laughs> oh, well, I mean, what it is, is, I mean, honestly, like a, a rancher, a farmer, you know, I mean, they work, you know, sun up to sundown. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, in those, in those intervening hours before the sun comes up and after the sun goes down, they know how to cut loose, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Uh, what about it, the country market? Like, what was it like to, I guess, go from Dallas into Calgary? Did it, it What's the difference in the two markets? Well, I mean, Dallas, like, in, and, and Mark, you know this from your time in Dallas, too. I mean, Dallas has this kind of idea from outside that it's a, it's more of a, you know, the country, the, you know, the Western frontier. Dallas is more cosmopolitan. Dallas mm -hmm. is, is more LA than it is Houston, Houston, Fort Worth. Those yeah. are, those are what I would call the real Western cities, but Dallas is a real cosmopolitan. There's a, a lot of transplants that have ended up in Dallas. So, you know, I, what I would say to you is, is that Calgary was probably a little bit, a little bit more Houston than it was Dallas. Have you ever ridden a mechanical bull? Uh, do you want to know something? I'm dumb, but I'm not stupid. <laughs> i will tell you this okay like so you watch like the, the bull riders i mean they're not big guys they're not big guys and those yeah. bulls are massive and you know a couple of years ago we were doing we had the we had the bull some of the bull riders come and talk to our group as we're doing the food tours before they go to the rodeo and you know so th there was this one day and they were having this little competition on the two uh mechanical bulls now i never knew this but one of the bull riders says to one of the operators, hey, stop doing that. He said the ego of the operators, you know, with people that are ranked novices, green as the grass and can get hurt. He said, that's why he, he said to me, he goes, you, you should never go on them. And he says, the later in the day you go, later in the night you go, yeah. the less you should go. He goes, because those guys operating it, 
he says their egos get in the way. And I saw the bull rider tell the operator, stop. Like, wow. you know, they're just enjoying themselves yeah. on the bull. So you can see how that get out of hand. And you know what? I, I hurt myself playing pickleball, Brett and Mark. And so you think <laughs> I'm gonna get on a you think I'm gonna get on a mechanical bull? <laughs> I feel you. advice. Yeah. Yeah. So I meant to bring, I was going to bring it up later about the whole pickleball incident. It's actually on your Wikipedia page, which I just I read the other day. <laughs> so I hit myself with a golf club in the eye and I, so for 23 years at TSN, I had never gotten really a facial injury. And now I club myself. And the first thing I thought of was you uh, and your pickleball incident. What, what went through your mind other than getting stitches that after that accident? Well, I, I have to tell you this. This is one of the funny parts of it. So I ended up at the emergency and, and they were wonderful. So the doctor comes in and she, 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 she's good. She gets me relaxed and not that I wasn't, but she's, uh, she, tell, oh, she says, I thought my first pickleball injury would be a sprained ankle or something like that. So she's stitching me up and everything. So I had, to, I had six on my cheek and then three on my eyebrow. So she's cleaning up my eyebrow to stitch it up. And she goes, I'm going to use different color sutures. Do you guys know there's different color sutures? No. no. Did, did no you know idea. that, Mark? I mean, you can get blue and then there's like a dark gray I, I, or maybe green as well. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. I did not know. So I'm laying on the table going, there's different color sutures. And I'm kind of going, yeah. what's this all about, right? So I asked her, I go, different color sutures? She goes, yeah. I said, why would you use different color sutures? She says, well, in your eyebrow, if I use black sutures, you know, when they go to take out the sutures, you could get a free wax job on the eyebrows. So, we, <laughs> and I'm going, oh, okay. So I, so she puts in the blue, right? So she cleans me all up and she finishes. And then she says, by the way, if you're not nice to us, we would have put in black sutures. <laughs> <laughs> You've been missing an eye. Yeah. Um, uh, all right, let's move on. Uh, some topics coming out today in the NHL as we get ready for the draft and the expansion draft. But first thing is uh, Luke Prokop, come out today and he admitted uh, that he was an openly gay athlete and good for him. I mean, I can't imagine what that's like. And if you read the article by Pierre Lebrun in the athletic, it talks about that moment where he spoke with the uh, Nashville predators and David Poyle, Uh, you know, Luke, or at least you followed him uh, your reaction to, as we continue to move forward here and uh, have a more inclusive uh, national hockey league. Well, I, I think you just said move forward towards more inclusivity, right? More diversity. Right. And I think that that's, uh, something that uh, you know really is is a is an achievable goal. It, it's going to happen in steps, and you know certainly Luke uh, acknowledging that he's gay is something that you know normalizes it to to whatever extent. You know, I think that one of the biggest things that I when Luke talked about was you know I can now just focus in on my career yeah. and and be freer to play my mm. game. Isn't that what it's all about? Yeah. Mark, I'll, I'll go back to you. You think about you coming up uh, as a prospect and everything. And when you were allowed to just be you and play to your strengths, right? It does free you, right? So now you're dealing with something that's private, right? And he's trying to find his way to uh, towards a career in the NHL. And, and he's a good prospect. Like, you know, this is a good young prospect. He's, he can skate. He can handle the puck. He's rangy. So, you know, this... Uh, opportunity for him to acknowledge uh, who he is and what he is that, that, that allows him to be the best at what he does. It's mm. phenomenal for Luke. And I, I, I wouldn't expect anything less from David Poyle. I don't think anybody should. And I, I think for Luke, it's something that's some, something really, really positive, not only for him, but he, he now 
gives others an opportunity to say, hey, this is who I am and I can celebrate who I am and be free to do what I do uh, with my talents. And you bring up David Poyle, the general manager of the National Predators, which I think is a huge bonus. And I, I, it almost seems like it's the perfect team for him to be because Mark Borowiecki is also there. And he's done an awful lot of work of being an ally for the LGBTQ community. He's looking forward to, I guess, perhaps helping Luke on his way. You just know that there's probably the right fit for him to feel that comfort level of being a Nashville Predator. Well, I, I think it is a comfort level, right? And hey, Boral Cop. I mean, we got to, you know, he's going to, he's going to be that, uh, that player on the ice. that's going to look out for your back and he's going to be the person off the ice. that's going to look out for your back. I think he's clearly demonstrated that, but you know, when you look at the, at the organization led by David Poyle, you know, it, it, it is number one, it's important for Luke to feel comfortable that he's in an organization where he can, you know, express, himself as to who he is and and i think that's incredibly important but he ha he also has to feel that like i, I am it's comfortable for me to, to be able to do this so it, right i i think it's you know you have the micro of nashville well you have the individual the micro of nashville and then the overarching uh you know positivity of it uh you know it's not only in hockey but in sport now here's yeah, my one like, question go ahead i was just Craig. gonna uh, say just to add one thing to that i think the one elephant in the room here is that it'll just break down more boundaries for other players, right? So that discomfort, especially in that old school mentality culture of hockey, I feel like this is an opportunity now for more young men and women to realize, okay, now NHL guys are doing it. It's becoming more frequent. You know, I feel comfortable, more comfortable in my own skin now. Now I can do it. So I think for me, at least, it sends a really good, strong message, you know, to the rest of the players that are coming up. Uh, absolutely, Mark. And, you know, we, we all uh, we, we all know uh, LGBTQ athletes, right? And and and, and people that are involved. My, my my youngest brother is gay, so you know this isn't something that's new to me, right? So mm -hmm. I know that you know when 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 we're living in a society where not only are people comfortable in it, but there, there there's an accepting acceptance, that, and and maybe that's the wrong word, but there's an acceptance of hey. This is what you do. Luke's a good hockey player. Exactly. My brother's an emergency room doctor. He's a really good emergency room doctor, right? Well, you know, why, why does it matter what your sexual orientation is or who you're married right. to or who you love or who you care about? I, I, I just think that we're moving clearly in that direction. And, and it's, a, it's a good, strong direction that yeah. we need to continue to move forward in. So, okay, let me ask you this one as a general manager, how you would deal with this in the room if perhaps there are guys who aren't accepting of this. How do you, I guess, is it just education of try to move forward? You know that there's going to be people that don't approve of it or don't want it around them, right? Uh, you, I mean, you, otherwise- You think that? I don't, yes, I don't other, think that's uh, an issue. Otherwise, I, there would be, we would be further along than we are in today's society. We have not had one player in the National Hockey League play as right. an openly gay athlete. Sorry, I just wanted to add to that comment, though, that you made before Craig jumps in. I just think- I know now, like, and this started 10 years ago, like, like even probably prior to that, where the, those bad words that were used, those homophobic slurs yeah. that people would just use casually, those just disappeared. Like we would start shaming guys for even bringing it up and it just trained every player. Okay. That's not all right. You might not be a homophobic person, but maybe perhaps you said it, you know, meaning in a different way or whatnot. But I think now, I think now those rooms are more accepting than they've ever been. I think it's just the odd idiot on social media that you got to be worried about that you got to tune out. That 
of course, is a gross generalization that I'm making. But I, I got to say, from my experiences over my last two years in the NHL, I mean, it, it was a very welcoming, inclusive environment. I will say that. Yeah. I, I don't know if you, uh, Mark and Brent, if you saw Warren Moon, uh, the, the Hall of Fame football quarterback, played in Edmonton, played in the NFL. Yeah. And he, he, he came out, uh, at, you, know, you know, with this. And he said, I, I played with gay football players. I won championships with gay football players. He said, it's not up to me to tell you who they are, but to think that there haven't been gay athletes playing, they just haven't been, I, they just haven't been comfortable coming out and, and, and and just expressing this is who I am. And this is where I am. And I think that society has allowed us to do that now now, to just to answer the question or to go a little bit deeper to Mark and, and, and Brent's comments is that standards get set about what you're going to, how you're going to operate, right? And then you, like David Poyle's not going to be in the dressing room every single day. So now who are the people that are going to uphold those standards? It's no different than, you know, saying we got to be committed to defense or we got to be committed to blocking shots, right? Yeah. And, and I know I'm generalizing and using some things, but when you set the standards of how you're going to do and you have the people that are going to set the standards, to Mark's point, yeah, is everybody? We'd love everybody to be one hundred percent accepting. That that that's never going to be the case, and that's why we got to continuously move forward and make yeah. sure that we that we that we accept uh, that this is where we're at in society, and we're going to get stronger at it and become really, you know, like intolerant of people that aren't yeah. accepting. That's great. So if you're asking me as a GM, like you know, if yeah. I find somebody that's intolerant that's not going to accept somebody. Sorry, you're out of here. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's and, your, and it's your it's your leadership group, right? right. Like yeah. it's it's your leadership. And it's not just the guys wearing the letters, Craig. You know, you you obviously ran teams before. You've got about five, six, seven players. Those are the guys that are running the ship in the room. Those are the guys that are going to speak up. And you'd like to think that they would do so if the time came. Anyway, yeah. I'll leave it at that. I totally agree with you. And 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 if you don't have that in place, then that's a failure of leadership at the highest levels. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, full props to to Luke Prokop because for him coming out and just helping to continue to move this story forward. Yeah. And eventually, I would like to get to that conversation where we don't have that conversation, right? I know it's a long way to go, right. but hopefully soon, there sooner than later, I guess, it will just be another player on the ice, and that's what I'm, I guess everybody's hoping for at some point here. Yeah, um, let's move on to the expansion draft came out, uh, all the protected lists. Is there any, all right, let's just get right to Carey Price. If you are the gentleman, if you're Ron Francis, are you taking Carey Price? So, you know, you're sitting here talking about Carey, who, who we know and we just watched, you know, perform at, at the elite level that Carey, but in light, in light of all the information coming out, we, we know he's been hindered by injuries the last few years, right? And now we're hearing about, you know, potentially more injuries and we start to hear about the knee and about the hip. And you're looking at five years left on a contract. And, and I've talked to a number of people and they say, well, there's insurance covering the contract. And, and I understand all that. And, and, but I, I'm not, I don't think if I was in that sho- in the shoes of Ron Francis that I would be selecting Carey Price. And, and it's not about not selecting Carey Price, the goaltender. It's not selecting Carey Price with all the uncertainty around his ability to be the goaltender that we saw him be. I mean, this was a team in Montreal that struggled to make the playoffs. 
you know, yeah. and then Carrie got healthy and came in. And if it was one year or two years left on a contract, I'd be all over it. But five years, you know, that's a long time. And that's a, that's a big cap hit for a team that I think is, uh, you know, I don't think they're going to be as good as Vegas. And because I, yeah. I, I, maybe, maybe I'm naive because I want to believe that general managers learn from the Vegas expansion. Hmm. Well, time will tell. Yeah. And Craig, to that point with, from a, from a general manager standpoint, if you're Ron Francis, what's the approach then as far as digging up some information, obviously everything's disclosed. You can find out his medical history, but if you want to dig a little deeper and figure out how, how real this injury really is, what steps can you do to kind of figure that out before you decide to make a decision? Well, number one, you right. You, 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 go, you, you have to have the medical reports and, and, and he does, he has that all uh, available to him and he's going to have to dive into it. He's going to have to talk to the agent. Jared Johansson is Terry Price's uh -huh. agent and also have the opportunity to, to talk to Carey Price. Where are you at? Like, how serious is this? What do you think? And I mean, Ron Francis has massive credibility. I mean, not only as a Hall of Fame player, but he's a Hall of Fame person, right? So I don't think there would be any reluctance for Carey Price to have a good, straightforward, forthright conversation with Ron Francis to say, Hey, listen, I'm not so sure, you know, I've had this, I've had that. I'm trying to get more certainty to it. This really affected me. And, you know, I, I, I don't think carries anything, but upfront, <laughs> I don't think there's yeah. any facades about him. I don't think he, I think he would be that. So that those would be the three steps that, you, that, that you'd have to go through. And I, I would say that if they do select them and we'll find that out on Wednesday, that you would have to say that Carey Price, you know, satisfied all the questions medically and professionally for Ron Francis right. to say, hey, we're jumping all over you, Carey. And I wonder what Carey Price's mindset is, uh, Craig, as far as like, is he reluctant to go over there or is he willing to do so? You know, you hear about his wife being not far away from, from Seattle, her family rather. Yeah. What's like, have you heard anything as far as rumors go, uh, where, where his mindset's at with all, all this? Well, I mean, he, he, I mean, he has a place in uh, Kennewick, Washington, where his yeah. wife is from, right? Family there. He played in that part of, uh, of, of the Western Hockey League. And I, I, I think for Kerry, when you're part of an organization and, and the face of an organization, and certainly the Montreal Canadiens, you know, we, we, we know what they mean, you know very well. But I also think, too, and Mark, you went through this. You, you went through a point in your career where you knew – what you were still capable of doing, but you also yeah. became very aware that you, there was things you were not going to be able to do as well. Right. And then you start to balance them out in terms of, okay, you know, when you're honest, you're straightforward. And I think for Kerry, it, it, he'll be straightforward about here's what you can expect from me. I, like if, if, if he Fair can't enough. play next year, or he says, I think he'll do that. I think that that's just that, that, that that's what he's made of. That's the, okay. the, that's him, the person. But I think that, uh, you know, it, it'll be interesting because yeah. when you're talking about a carry price, you know, I mean, there's no question that you should be interested and there's no question that there's going to be a real thorough examination of carry prices, you know, situation and what it could mean for the Seattle Kraken. Mm -hmm. Okay. Hey, if, if you don't take carry price as your number one, who, I don't know if you've had a whole list, a look at the whole list, who would you put as your number one goalie to start next season? Uh, well, I, I would take Vitek Vanacek from the uh, Washington Capitals. I mean, he's available, in the, and I think he's a good young goaltender. He won 21 games this year uh, for the Washington Capitals. So you're going to build there. 
and 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 Kakanen from the Minnesota Wild. I think he's a good young goaltender, and and he and he doesn't need waivers yet. So you can have him as your third goaltender. I think it gets interesting from that point of view. And obviously, if you take Carey Price, he's your number one goaltender. Yeah. You know, Jonathan Quick is available, but there's also some like you know you think about uh, like Chris Dreiger, who 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 you know who was drafted by the Ottawa Senators, yeah. you know, and had a terrific year. And what is he, 27 years of age? You know, that's not old for a goaltender. So, you know, I think they're going to have some options in, in unrestricted free agency. It'll be interesting to see where they go. Obviously, Aiden Hill, Darcy Kemper had to be players that they were interested in, Jake Allen. You know, we can sit here and say Braden Holtby. But, you know, I think with the other options they may have, that it gives them an opportunity. Because, because Vanacek, in my view, is a really good young goaltender. Mm. And so that sets you up for the future. Now you want to find that guy that can play with them. And then uh, to me, have a third guy be able to come up. And if you have Carey Price, well, that's not bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, should the Colorado Avalanche be concerned with the Landeskog negotiations or are this just simply negotiations? I, I would answer yes to both questions. Uh, you know, right he's the captain of your team and you yeah. know you know mark you talked earlier about your leadership group you know he was part of an organization that built up to this point he started mm-hmm. off as a player where the team wasn't very good and he's been instrumental on the ice and off the ice in establishing a culture establishing those standards in your organization that are really important so it's easy to say oh, it's negotiations but i can understand from gabriel's point of view you know, why he would be frustrated because, you know, when you're given everything you have, when you know the outcomes at the end of the game, for the most part, are not going to result in a win and you're still doing everything you can to be that positive example and everything, you know, I know you have to pay for what players are going to do, but there has to be a recognition for the players that are there now and the, and, and how much Gabriel Landeskog has contributed to the key players on your team. So you know, I, I think it's a it's a it's a dicey situation uh, for for Joe Sackett because it's easy to say, oh, we'll walk away, oh, go out and do that. How do you replace Gabriel Landeskog? Yeah, I'm not suggesting point. you pay him ten million, but you, you got to work hard at that one. You you just can't let. Yeah. I I just don't think you can just dismiss those guys out of hand. They're they're yeah. unique. Uh, one thing that, though, uh, restricted free agents always seem to come down to the wire, if not through camp, and we always see them be dragged out a bit. Uh, should there be any concern with Brady Kachuk not having been signed already? I, I just think that this is going to end up being into training camp by the time a deal gets done. Well, you know what happens, Brent. I mean, uh, uh, the Canadian media starts uh, all the rumors, and then, uh, <laughs> then they start saying that Brady Kachuk wants to play in St. Louis because that's where he grew up, right? Yeah, yeah. So, Matthew Kachuk and Brady Kachuk are going to end up in St. Louis playing there because that's just a convenient narrative for those players. (laughs) (laughs) Matthew and and Brady are are really unique players. They're unique players. And Mm -hmm. when you find unique players, let's keep in mind that Brady was fourth, Matthew was sixth. Where do you find those guys? Where do you find? We just talked about Gabriel Landeskog. If you want to just look at the stat sheet and, you know, just say, okay, these are what their numbers are. Brent, I would suggest you ask Mark who he had a tougher time playing against. Guys like Brady Kachuk and Matthew Kachuk, who you know are going to grind you every second of every shift they're on, or those guys that might be a little bit more what we call softer skill guys. 
I think mm -hmm. I know the answer. Yeah, I think answer. I would agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're right though. Like these guys, these guys, and we, Brent and I called them unicorns because yeah. there's just not a whole lot of them around the NHL, right? And when you can get your hands on one, typically through a draft pick, you've made it, right? So I think these are, I think that's why people are so vested in this topic right now is that he's kind of the lifeblood of the city or excuse me, of the Ottawa Senators. And so people are very passionate about it. So we're always waiting for insiders and analysts such as yourself to come on and give us comforting news. That's what we're looking for. <laughs> well, just look at what happened in Dallas with Miro Haskinen, right? Yeah. So Miro Haskinen just signs the eight-year deal, right? And, yep. and there's going to be, oh boy, that's a lot, or this player will get more, right? But he was the third overall pick, and Brady Kachuk was the fourth overall pick, and Matthew was the sixth. And when you're, when you're drafting players and, and they show very clearly that they could be instrumental to your on-ice success and to your points that they're, that they're unicorns, you can't let them go. You, you, no, you got to find ways to be creative and to find different uh, uh, opportunities to get them on your team because everybody's looking for them. And when you have them, you, you don't want to let them get away. Yeah. And you're getting, so the team there, there's almost kind of, it's almost been a bit of a war of attrition between both camps in a very light way, of course, where, you know, you're hearing comments from the ownership and whatnot saying, well, if he doesn't sign a long-term deal, we're not giving him the captaincy. So they're almost baiting him. And then you've got the other side where Brady and his, I'm sure he's getting some info from his old man and through experiences through Matthew, where maybe you sign that bridge, that bridge deal, get you to the UFA and hopefully the cap goes up a bit more and you can really maximize that output as far as salary goes. So is that his mindset right now? Is that, is he just looking for a little bridge deal you think, and then hopefully build from there? Well, I think there's, I, I think you bring up a couple of that. First thing I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say is Mark, you played in dressing rooms you knew who the leaders were. You don't have yeah. to wear a C or an A to be a leader. You, you, yeah. you know, like, yeah, everybody else outside, but the leaders are the leaders. And it's not just one player in the most part. Number right. two, uh, you talk about the economics of the league and, and, the, and you know, what's happened with the uh, flat cap. So as a player, if it, like, you know, I understand teams are saying, hey, let's try to lock these players in long-term. But for a player, you know, you're saying, hey, listen, you know, we're, we're giving this much back in escrow, you know, the cap's not going to go up. You know, yeah. you want to protect yourself from being underpaid in, in oh, for sure. years, right? So yeah. I, I understand the economics of it. And, you know, so that's, and, and then you look at what Matthew, Matthew did a three-year bridge deal. I think he popped in a couple days before the season started or whatnot and did it. So I, I don't yeah. think, I think if you want to draw a hard line in the sand, you got to just work. At, at what can satisfy everybody's, you know, desires, needs, mm. and, and you'd love them all to just end up at the same point. It's not, that's not realistic. What's realistic is saying, okay, we acknowledge where you're at. Okay. Here's where we're at. Let's find a way to get it done. And, you yeah. know, if he signs a bridge deal, uh, you know, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with that because the other thing that I'm a big believer in, you don't want to have a player, and, and I think this has happened in Winnipeg. And, and it's not because Mark Shifley is, is not a terrific guy and he's yeah. a superstar in my view, but he signed that eight-year deal. And it's and at the time, and you can talk to him, but now he's looking around and going, wait a second here. These other guys yes. are making this money. And we say, well, point. you signed it. Yeah, we know you signed it, but there's still that feeling that you left it there. And I, I, you yeah. never, I never felt as a manager, you want to put players into that position of having to feel that way. Good point. What's uh, before we move on? What's the toughest negotiation you can remember? Contract negotiation when you were general manager. Toughest. 
Uh, I think it was Derek Morris. It was right when I first started as the, as the general manager. And it, it wasn't Derek Morris per se. I mean, it was a very different time in the CBA. It was, uh, you know, it was pre-cap. And, you know, we, you had the teams that were very well to do and you had teams in, in Calgary. We, when I came here, we were in a situation where, you know, our, our finances were, were, were in peril. Like the, there was a lot of teams in, in the league that had, so you're trying to manage it. And, you know, when I interviewed for the job in Calgary, I said to the owners, you're going to have two holdouts. And they said, oh, really? I said, yeah, Mark Savard and Derek Morris. And they said, oh, really? I said, yeah, they're restricted free agents coming out of their entry level contract. And I said, but they're not testing me. They're testing you. Yeah. And they kind of looked at me and they said, what do you mean? I said, well, uh, if, if you feel the pressure that you have to pay because you've got this campaign to get people to buy tickets and corporate suites and everything, right? That's, that's real pressure. And they're going to apply that pressure and they're going to try to do it to, to try to, you know, push that. And I get it. It's, there's nothing wrong with it, but mm -hmm. I laid it out for him. We were in that. We ended up getting Mark Savard signed uh, to a three-year deal, but then Derek didn't sign until the end of November. But our owners, essentially where it got to was, I said to our owners, I said, just understand that if we give Derek this money now, which was far more than Jerome McGinley was signed, I said, Robin Regeer, Denny Gauthier, Tony Ludman are all going to be at a, at a higher, higher rate. And, and then we tried to add it up. And that's what, can, that, that's what was convincing for them. They weren't hundred percent convinced because they were getting a lot of flack in the marketplace. They were, they were getting a lot of flack in the marketplace. So we liked Derek. We thought Derek was good. I understood what, to, what was going on. Ultimately we were able to sign Derek Morris to, to a contract right around to what Jerome had signed coming out of his entry level contract. But it, it, it was a, it was, it was a long time because there wasn't any acrimony and there wasn't any type of, he said, they said it was just the reality of an economic landscape that was league wide. Mm. And, yeah. you know, but the owners are the ones that are put in their name. They're in the community <laughs> and yeah. they're the ones that are taking a lot of the flack. Like we could sit down and yeah, okay, we get it, but they're taking it behind closed doors. Yeah. We had nine owners at that time and wonder Harley Hotchkiss, Doc Seaman, just great people. And, but they were getting a lot of flack because they were the same ones asking for community assistance. Yeah. Mm. Is, is that tough it, to like, to hear all the outside noise and to tell them and to reassure them, like we're doing the right thing. Just, you, you got to block some of this out. Yeah, it is tough, but, but, but it's not, it, I don't think the tough part is telling them the tough part is trying to feel what they're feeling. Like, I mean, we're talking, like you go and you say, okay, we need, we need people to opt their corporate suite uh, commitments for five years. We need a little more money. We need our television deals, a little more money. We need people to buy season tickets. So everybody's stepping up to help them and they're feeling somehow cheated. Right. Mm -hmm. And when, when you're, when you're such great, what, what I would call civic leaders, and that's what the ownership of Calgary specifically yeah. the Siemens and Harley Hotchkiss and Bud McKay, you know, that stings. It, it, it's easy for me to say I'm the manager, I got to make business decisions, but they're the ones that were standing up and, and making significant asks and asking mm. for commitments. And, you know, so it's trying to really, what I say, try to put yourself in their shoes and at the same time, you know, manage it without, you know, 
uh, you know, being hard on the player and his agent or, you know, just dismissing their needs. It, it was a balancing act, to be quite frank. And something I, something, you know, you come into to management and you're thinking like, oh, yeah, I'll, like I'll make a trade or I'll do this, right? <laughs> It's all these other things. <laughs> oh, go, yeah. oh, they didn't, they didn't teach me any of this stuff. <laughs> yeah, that, that's just it. That's why when there's so much that goes into just a simple contract negotiation. Anyway, um, quickly, uh, Pierre Maguire recently uh, added to the Ottawa Senators front office. Uh, your thoughts on seeing him become the senior vice president of player development? Well, I, first of all, Pierre has a, a, a long, long record of being involved in hockey. And I think one of the things that has bothered me is when they say that, you know, while well, he's 20 years in the media, well, 20 years in the media, he's covered the juniors, he's covered the NHL. He, he doesn't just show up on an NHL broadcast like at seven o'clock at night and then leaves at 10. He's doing a lot of work. He's spending yeah. a lot of time watching the games. He's spending a lot of time talking to coaches, managers, pre-game, post-game, yeah. around the officials around the league. So I think he brings uh, a, a, an incredible amount of, of knowledge and experience to the job and, and it's current experience. I mean, Mark, you, you just finished playing. And so your experiences, that, like your touch points on the game, are, are current. They're, they're right there. So, you know, the, the feeling of, of how things are done, how the game is played, right? P Pierre has that feel. And I yeah. think that he, it, it's different than a player, but his experiences are, are, are long and varied. And I, I think he adds a lot to Pierre Dorian's group and can contribute uh, a, a lot of uh, insights and, and, and a lot of uh, uh, suggestions and ideas that can, potentially help the uh, Ottawa Senators move forward. Because yeah. I, I think the Ottawa Senators have a lot of good things in place. I, I really do. I think they have a lot of promise. And what you're trying to do is, is just make sure that you can build on that promise. And the other thing that Pierre has, and he has it in abundance, is he has significant contacts all around the league. And in a, you know, Mark, when you're asking about Carey Price and that information uh, uh, highway, you know, Pierre can... Pierre can get on it and move along uh, very well. Do you think he's a different person uh, away from the television? Like he's a very polarizing figure, as you know, and, and even, you know, uh, your TV persona is a little bit different than who you are when you sit around the house and crack open a beer. So uh, is he a little bit maybe misunderstood? Well, the, the only, the only thing you have to do is, is to judge him based on what you've seen on TV. Right. So right. like, you know, how many people have sat down and talked to Pierre about hockey or sat down? It's the same thing with players. You know, you watch a player play and you think, you know, them, or you interview them and you think, you know, them. you're not around the players. Right. You were in the media, still are in the media and people see you on, on, on your presence and they think they know you. Right. Because you're presenting something. But unless you spend time with people and hear their ideas and listen to them and, you know, you don't know them. You know, exactly. that's, that's what always amazes me, you know, when, when something comes out of, about an athlete in, in, in some sport or whatnot, people are going surprised. I never saw that. Well, you never saw it because you never were given the opportunity to see it. Like, right. you, yeah. you saw the player or, or the person in the media, you know, do what they do and, and do it really well, but doesn't mean, you know, the person or the player. And I, I, that's what I would say about uh, uh, with Pierre, you know, hmm. I, I, I've been lucky. I mean, 
Brent, you think about all the people you've spent time with over the years. Just and just think about sitting with players or sitting with a coach or assistant coach. Mark, all those moments you're sitting around in the morning having a coffee and you go, geez, that's a bright guy, right? Because yeah. you've taken the time, right? Yeah, but if you right. don't take the time, you don't know if he's bright or he's not bright. You just know yeah. what the outside perception is. Yeah, that's well, like, I mean, the exact perfect example is Meth and I wouldn't have this little show if we didn't have a chance to talk to each other well back when he played, right? And so we just wouldn't have known whether he was articulate or how well we would have gotten along. So I completely understand and agree with what your point is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, let's get to the draft. And that's somewhere it's right in your wheelhouse. There's a couple of players from the Ottawa area that I want to touch on. <laughs> but do you think Ottawa at number 10 should be selecting a goalie? This has been the contentious issue that perhaps there isn't an elite goalie in the system, despite what seems to be a lot of talent uh, between the pipes. So, you, you know, you're always assessing, you know, where your level of uh, uh, depth and quality is at different positions in the organization. I really like Philip Gustafson. I think he's a good young goaltender. So I know they protected him in the expansion draft, but you start to look at layers of, mm. you know, what's exceptional. Right. Like what's, you know, is there, is there a player? You're always trying to improve your team. So you look at it and you go, okay, Philip Gustafson's good, but at the very least, like what happens if we get a goaltender that's better and, and we have two of them, is there anything? I mean, we're seeing now in the NHL that the platoon is, is the way to go. And, and, and you can divide it up. Is, is, is it 50, 30? Is it 55, 25? Is it 45, 40? I don't know, but you know, we see now that with the demands in the NHL, that platooning is, is something you can go. So when I look at 10 and I see the, the prospect shelves in the cupboard for the Ottawa centers, there's lots of good prospects on all those mm. shelves and all the different positions. Do I see an elite goaltender there? I don't. I don't. That doesn't yeah. mean that Philip Gustafson might not develop into one. I'm, I'm not going to preclude him from that, but I don't see one there. So I, I think it's like any other position, like, you know, what are you going to do? What do you want it? What do you want to get? And I, I don't, I guess the way I would put it is if, if you're looking at a goaltender at 10, I think there's two goaltenders that have number one goaltender written all over them. That's Wallstead and Kosa. And I think that they're closer to playing than not. And by that, I mean, I'm not saying next year, but if you're going to draft a forward or a defenseman, I think they're on an equal development path in terms of where you're going to find them at the NHL level oh, wow. in two years' time. And so do you think 10 is uh, – I was going to say, we don't see a lot of goaltenders pick probably in the top 10, right? They tend to always fall to a second-round type. Uh, is he worth the 10th overall pick? Yes, uh, in, would, I'll say Wallstead. I would say absolutely yes. Yeah. I mean, we've just – Andre Vasilevsky, if you go back and look at the 2012 draft, He's the best player in the draft. He's not the best goal. He's the best yeah. player in the draft. He mm. went 19th. So, you know, again, there's a projection, but there's, you know, one of the things that I always, I, I don't know, chuckle is the right word, but when I hear, you know, wow, you can't take a goalie, you know, you're not sure. There have been first overall defensemen that haven't turned out. There's been first overall forwards and top 10 forwards and defensemen that have, does that mean yeah. you stop drafting them? No, I know there's more positions for those guys, but if you think that there's that type of quality, you, you, you have to consider it. You can't exclude yeah. yourself from having that conversation. You know, 
you know, we just talked about Carey Price. Tommy Barrasso got drafted out of uh, active Boxborough High School, right? Mark Andre Fleury was the first overall pick, right? Like, you know, you start to put some of the some of the players into place that, that have had a lot of success. So I'm talking about first rounders now. You really, you really can't say that it's not worthy of a selection, I, in mm-hmm. my view, anyway. Okay. Uh, there's a couple of Ottawa players, Mason McTavish, you know, and Brant Clark. Uh, could there be any chance? We are both big fans of both those players, but we think Mason McTavish uh, may have a chance to fall a little bit less or a little bit further than Brant Clark. And I wouldn't say fall. I'll just be not picked in the first, I don't know, two or three. Where do you think those two players go? And can Ottawa sneak in and get Mason McTavish if he's available? Well, I, I, I think that both those players are, are potential picks at, at 10 for the Ottawa Senators. I go back to the 2000 draft. Now, the first pick was Rasmus Dahlin to Buffalo, and the second pick was Andre Svechnikov. I think everybody knew who was going one and two. I know that when Bob McKenzie and myself, when we were doing the draft for NBC and putting it together, we knew the top 12, and that included mm. Dahlin. We just didn't know what order. We didn't know that Kotke Nemi would go three. We knew he was going like in the top 12. We knew Noah Dobson was going to go in the top 12. We didn't know he'd go 12, but that Baron Hayton went fifth. You know, we had clearly the group of players that we thought would go in the, in the, in the first 12. And we were right. We, we, we had, we just, the order becomes very uncertain. And I think in this year's draft, you know, one of the things and Bob is uh, doing his show today and his final ranking show, which really gives you a real glimpse into what NHL teams could be doing come draft day. You know, he said he's never seen so much lack of consensus two to 10. Oh, wow. So, right, well, and I think a lot of it is, is you haven't had the opportunity to watch these players for as long or as much as you'd like to, right? So, yeah. so, so to answer your question in, 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 a, in, a, in a roundabout way, is that, yeah, I think those guys could end up being at that spot. And they're different players. Mason is yeah. different than Brad. But I will say this, they're both really good. And, you know, I know Dave Barr compared uh, uh, Mason McTavish somewhat to the style of play of Ryan O'Reilly. And uh, the way Brad Clark plays, it's, it, it's your uh, former uh, defense partner, Eric Carlson. Now, are they Ryan O'Reilly? Are they Eric? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying they have a game like that. Like hmm. Mark, you know how Eric played. He he played with a with a great creativity and he was bold. That's how Clark plays. And Mason McTavish plays with a really good, strong two-way game like Ryan O'Reilly. So we're not saying they're gonna be those guys because if they are, they're home runs. But those are type of players that I think describe uh, Mason McTavish and Brad Clark. Hmm. And what did you see about them when you were in Texas, the U18s? Just uh, they seem to, and maybe it's because they're on an international stage and we get to see them on national TV, but their game just seemed to really evolve and really take shape there. Well, both of them played in Europe uh, during the course of the season. Right. You know, one of the things I think, and you, you, you watch younger players, younger players like Mason and Brad, they're, they're, they're very talented. They're very gifted players. And they're able to do things when they're 15 and 16 and 17 because they're so much better than everybody else. But when you go and play in a pro league and you're playing against players with experience, they might not have the same level of talent as you. 
but they know how to play. <laughs> and I think that that really helped Mason and Brandt understand. Like, it's kind of just like one of these fast forward moments. I can't begin to tell you how many times you, you tell a player and Mark, I'm sure you were told this that when you were younger, you got to be quicker. You got to be a little bit stronger. You got to yep. do this a little bit faster. And th then the players get into training camp. They get into an exhibition game. They're in the minors and they come up and play a game. And inevitably I always hear, Oh boy, you're right. <laughs> like They're strong. Boy, yeah. are they ever fast. Yeah, they yeah. are. But so yeah. I think for Brad and Mason, they got a benefit of a little glimpse of that, you know, before they had, you know, in, in other years, you never get a chance to play against older, smarter players, uh, you know, without maybe the same level of talent, but why, why the world championships? Well, why do, why do we see countries come to the world championships and be good teams? It's not that they have this abundance of talent all the time. Obviously that helps, but what they have, they have a lot of experience under their belts and they know yeah. how to play the game and they know how to play it together. Right. So, yeah. you know, and I, I think that Brett and Mason uh, benefited from that. Uh, perfect stuff. Uh, one qu quick question at the stampede. What is your favorite food? <laughs> Are you ready? Okay. So there's this place called the uh, dumpling hero and they have, they have lobster dumplings. Oh, and, that yeah, sounds amazing. <laughs> it, it really is. It, it, it is so good. It is really good. They won best rookie a couple of years ago for new food. Right. And I can tell you what, I, I make sure that I am hitting that spot at, at, at every opportunity. I told you about the barbecue a little bit earlier, but yeah. the, uh, the lobster dumplings, that's my wow. go-to. Okay. I did not. Did not see that coming. I'm thinking pulled pork, pork ribs. <laughs> no. Yeah. Burgers, beef on a yeah. bun. That's common. But I'm telling you, it's really, really good stuff. Nice. Lobster dumplings. That's fantastic. Uh, we appreciate your time, Craig. And as always, a uh, great insight into the game. Uh, we yeah. enjoy you and hope to see you again soon. If you'll let me uh, keep your phone number. You have my phone number. I've never told you not to keep my phone number. And hey, you guys are doing terrific. And uh, I love uh, I love listening to you. I love what you bring to the game. Mark, I thought you were terrific with uh, your world championship analysis and, uh, Thanks, you know, and, you know, your insights and, and intelligence about the game are something that I think gives the viewer really, really good opportunity to to see the game through the light and the eyes of a player. So, I mean, yeah. you guys are, Thank you. Brent, I got all the time in the world for you. So uh, know, uh, if you, if you ever get this number is no longer in service, <laughs> it's only because I've said, I got to get Brent Wallace off my butt. <laughs> <laughs> I just appreciate you returning my calls. So uh, we will talk again soon and uh, look forward to uh, future chats, Greg. Take care. Thank you guys. All right, time winding down on the Barhaven Ford contest. Barhaven Ford is giving away four free tickets in the 100 level to the home opener of the Sens' upcoming season. All you have to do, go to barhavenford.com and enter who you think the Sens are going to take 10th overall. The winner will be announced on our show on Monday, July 26th. Contest closes on the 23rd at 8 p.m. because that's the start of the draft when it gets underway. Just go to barhavenford.com and place your answer. All right, Matt, time for On the Points, brought to you by sportsinteraction.com slash Wally Mathot. Sports Interaction is Canada's odds makers. Log on to sportsinteraction.com slash Wally Mathot today to get in on the action. Okay, Matt, here we go. Game six, NBA Finals. Uh, Milwaukee, the first team in the series to win on the road. They did so convincingly in game five. The big three, 88 points. So 
Does mm. Milwaukee win its second NBA title in franchise history on Tuesday night? Yeah, and I, and I think a lot of people out there saw, um, you know, Giannis, uh, his, his nice little speech that he'd given, and he was talking about accountability and, and his growth in the NBA and focusing on the present, not the past or the future, and talked about ego. I thought it was great, and it, it, yeah. it almost made me a bigger fan of his. And so – I called the last two games, obviously a little bit of luck. I was only going with them because I do like that big three with him, Middleton and, and holiday. So uh, they're playing great. They're playing inspired ball right now. And I think he's finally kind of, you're kind of, you're seeing that growth in his play with that. Um, you know, I guess with his leadership, if you will, and the way he's kind of carrying the team right now, I think he's really made a big step forward. So I'm cheering for, I'm cheering for Milwaukee. I'd love to see a game seven, but I just have a, a little bit of a feeling that, we're going to see the Bucks close this thing out. Uh, Methrodomus picking the Milwaukee Bucks in game <laughs> six to win the NBA title. Those are the picks. Now go to sportsinteraction.com slash thought and make yours. Okay, uh, Craig, welcome to the show again, as always. Uh, you've always had, uh, well, you've covered Meth while he was in Ottawa. So I know you two had a relationship and did not uh, think too fondly of him leaving either, I know. Yeah, I made a tweet. Is that what we're asking about? Yeah, I made a nice little tweet about my friend Mark Mathai. Yeah, well, I mean, like, that's was one of those guys when I when I started doing the job I was doing. He was one. Of, he was probably the most savvy like speaker on the team. So naturally, yep. like, I, I'm trying to find ways to make good things. So he's one of the guys. That's the guy I would go to if I needed something, right? Like, what I does need that someone... say about the team, though, or like in general? When I'm the the, the 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 I guess the savviest, if you will, of the of the group. Yeah. Well, and some of it was just more like some of the guys, they, they didn't really value it or they didn't see the value in it. And I think you no, did. I know. Like, I'm I think, screwing around. Oh, no, yeah. I know. But I appreciate that, Craig. Thanks. And to be honest with you, that's something that, uh, I, that stuck with me. Right. And so why we, I don't like using this word, we groomed like the young guys to come up and they understood the value of it. And we, yeah. we got to the point where with a young player, if he was new, I wouldn't ask. I would just say, Hey, we need you to do this. Right. And they, it became a process of like, they just never, they learned to never say no. Whereas when you came into that established team and there's some star players on there, Norris trophy winners and big names, like you have to kind of work your way into that. So it was a good eye opener. And and to be honest with you, like there was after that, I was always trying to find the next, who's the next Mark Mathot. Like after you left, it was like, who's the next Mark Mathot. And you know, to that point, I never understood that with, with players that, and these are guys that, that are guilty that I've played with that would turn down stuff like that. I mean, I think players kind of, I think throughout a career, you start to take yourself at times way too seriously and you lose sight of the big picture and that's promoting your team and the game and, and it's your own brand too. And when you start big dogging guys and, you know, saying no to interviews or like social media guys that work for the team that are trying to promote your own team, it's so stupid, you know? And so, you know, you don't want to step on toes and I don't want to go yell at a star player for not doing an interview, but I feel like as a player, you have a responsibility to do that stuff and put yourself out there occasionally. And it's not like you guys were asking us to do a million things. Anyway, sorry. I'm not trying to make no, this no. longer than I should. No, no. I just find it very interesting. If I'm not mistaken though, Alfie used to come go. So people that don't understand there's the main dressing room area. And then in the back is where you guys all get dressed and shower and do all that other stuff. Yeah, it's behind the, the way curtain. of the media. My understanding is if Alfie knew that somebody was waiting for a player, namely like Eric, whatever, he would go into the back and go, you need to go out there and talk. Like there were guys, right? Like, so Alfie understood that there was a few guys that really understood the important Jason Spezza came out to speak every day. If you requested him, he was always available. There's a few of those, but then there'd be other guys be like, nah, I don't have. And and of course, and, and of course you have to understand sometimes just like any normal person, when I say normal, I mean, 
someone not playing hockey or doing athletic stuff, you have to understand that everyone has bad days and you're not always going to be on your game. And I can understand, you know, the outlier, the odd time where you're just, you're telling your, your, your media representative for the team, listen, I'm not really able to talk today, but when it's a reoccurring issue and you're constantly giving them the cold shoulder, not only is it hurting you, but like, you're going to piss off some reporters, right? Journalists. These are people that speak for you and, and literally echo your sentiment to the public. And when you're, throwing the ax at them and saying, ah, I'm not really in the mood today. Eventually it can bite you in the butt, right? Wally, like well, would you the, say so that the, it could kind of put a sour taste in your mouth? Well, the questions get altered, right? So instead of it being like, yeah, uh, what did you see happen on that play? You're like, why were you in the wrong spot? Yeah. Right? Things get changed, altered yeah. people, the way they looked at you. And so now if, if Eric Carlson didn't speak for two months, I remember this. So now we all have to go to you or someone else and go, you know, what do you think of Eric Carlson or whatever? And how do you think his yeah. play was today? It puts you in an awkward spot and it puts everybody yeah. else in. A, it just creates too much uh, unhappiness around the well, room. And it, it creates a little a, bit of it's a distraction. Stress. It's a yeah. distraction, which is essentially what you just said. Right. So yeah. now that you're having to come to me or somebody else a little more frequently, that's a distraction. And that's what people try to avoid when you use that term in hockey right. or any other sport. That's how you create distractions and it's best to avoid them. But anyway, and if you're I'm having a bad day and I'm asking you about Eric Carlson for the ninth time, you're not happy with that, having to answer that. And that's where yeah. some stuff starts to get said and right. people take the wrong way. So yeah, I agree. It, like it doesn't pay just to be an asshole all the time. You can do it sometimes and get away with it. Yeah. But I, there's been very few in Ottawa though, that have, would really be in that list. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I know on our end, on the team side of things too, like it was kind of our responsibility to like, make sure we were putting them in stuff they wanted to do. You know what I mean? Like yeah, they enough. needed, you have to earn that level of trust of like, Hey, we're not going to, we're not going to waste an hour of your time to put together something crappy. That's going to make yeah. you look stupid. Like, yeah, so you have yeah. to build up a bit of a reputation as like, oh man, it's going to be fun. Uh, like, ah, just take two seconds. It'll be, it'll make you look good on social. It'll help with the followers. It'll, we'll get you yeah. verified. We'll do all these other things. Like you have to kind of tempt them to make them want to do it. And then you'll get more. Cause if you get a guy who doesn't want to do something, show up on a, a shoot, it's just like, don't even bother. And like, you're not, well, you're not and that's anything. the challenging thing too, yeah. Craig, to your point is that when you're like a player and perhaps it's a Monday or a Tuesday. Maybe you played the night before. You're really tired. Coach is pissed off. So you had to skate again that day. You're even more tired now at this point. It's 11 o'clock. You just finished practice. Your eyes feel like they're bleeding. They're beet red. And, uh, and then you're being asked to go spend 45 minutes doing some kind of, you know, yeah. dog and pony show thing <laughs> after practice. That can get frustrating as a player. And those are mm -hmm. the times where I feel like you just have to bite the bullet and do it as a player. But I can understand to a degree the reluctance at times with players. But as far as the interviewing goes after a practice, there's no excuse. I think you have to do it. Yeah, you're talking I'll about leave it at that. yeah, like the media availability and stuff. And to be exactly. honest with you, that's kind of where we, and again, I don't want to get too much into the deep dive of this stuff, but that's kind of where we realize like, okay, they have to do these things. Like, what can we do in the locker room? What can we make? Do? Yeah. So we're making, uh, taking advantage of the time that they have to give to the media so they don't have to give us extra time. So we always right. tried to like, that's when we started doing a little more kind of fun stuff in and around the locker room. Cause on our end, it's all about like, man, I, I get the schedule you guys live. Cause we lived it too. And then like, there's times yeah, where you're like, you just don't like, you just don't want to do it. So you have 
have to almost yeah. like really nail down these days in advance. Like, okay, it looks like it's two, two days between a game. We got an afternoon practice. Like, can I get you to stick around for 10 minutes afterwards? Here's, we're going to do boom, boom, boom. I'll get you to do three things. Then you're done for like a month. And yeah. uh, making it as easy as possible was the thing that like, then you get guys like Eric blowing you off less, right? Because it's like, okay, I know it's going to not going to take that long and it'll yeah. be a little fun. And then we'll get, we'll get what we need. So and. Uh, and- and in defense of guys like Eric, of course, because I feel like we're lumping on those players a little. I, I, you got we have people also need to understand that they get asked to do a million things, right? Like people oftentimes Every are always day. asking. That's what I'm saying. So that can get old pretty quickly. I, again, yep. I'll yep. just leave it at that. I'm yep. saving it for something we'll do, but I have probably recorded the worst interview with Eric Carlson. And it was like one of those times where he was signing um, all the foundation stuff, you know, at the beginning of the season. Oh, yeah. Your table and you sign all this stuff. They said, yeah. Craig, you got, you got, 10 minutes with Eric Carlson. He's going to be signing stuff. But I was like, okay. So I remember I did what I needed to do. And I had like five minutes left. And, was still, <laughs> and you can hear the whole time in the thing. You can just hear like, like every little sign going. So he's barely paying attention to me too. Like it was multitasking yeah. at its finest. Yeah. And uh, I remember he's like, oh, I got some time. You want to do something else? And I literally, all I had, I don't want to ruin it too much, but I just had a list of condiments and we just ran through, we were just going through, what does he own? What does he like? What does he use? And it was the most useless piece of content I've ever made. I never <laughs> found a reason to use it. I still have it. It's awful. Oh, uh, that's it was, awesome. But it was one of those where like, shit, I got five more minutes. Like I don't get uh, this much opportunity with them. Like ah, this. And so we just went and hoping it would work and it did not. So we'll save it oh, and we'll well. play that. Some the worst Eric Carlson interview that was ever nice. done. Nice. Where we talk about condiments. So we'll save that one. But Hey, what else we can do is, uh, we can uh, we can supply people with some things they can put condiments on. Brent knows where I'm going. This is a stretch, but we're gonna get there. It's trivia time, uh, and it's uh, today's served up by Pizza Forno. Pizza Forno is a 24-hour automated pizzeria making tasty artisanal pizzas in three minutes. They got two locations in Ottawa: 33 Clarence Street, 1159 Bank Street. You can check out their menu online at, at pizzaforno.com. And we have a deal for all of our viewers and listeners. So if uh, you can get two dollars off at checkout using the code. One, three, two, one. That's uh, Nick Paul's old number, Nick Paul's new number. Oh, I just thought of that on the fly. Good stuff. We're killing it. Uh, Okay, so we're going to give away some pizzas. Uh, We asked a question on the last show, and that was, again, a little more expansion draft related. Um, It was who was Ottawa's first selection in the expansion draft in 1992? Mm. It was in goal. It was in goal, just like Carey Price might be. Peter Sidorkovitz, a legend early on in those years. Matt, I'm sure you got some memories of that guy. (laughs) Uh, so shout out to uh congrats to bort bortson 17 that's funny my son is also named bort uh you've scored yourself two free pizzas andrew we're going to reach out shortly so keep an eye on those dms uh we got we got another question uh today too coming a little more um expansion drafty as well right like I think this is kind of the expansion draft show. So Brent, Brent put this one together. This is another little expansion draft question. Uh, and this one's brought to you by Napoli, uh, Napoli's Cafe uh, in Stittsville. An unbelievable Italian restaurant. Homemade pastas. It's delicious. Check them out at NapoliesCafe.com. Um, they're located in the heart of Stittsville. So we've got a $50 gift certificate if you can get this one correct. And it's what player did Ottawa select in the 1992 expansion draft that never played an NHL game? If you know the answer to that one, send the send it over on Twitter using the hashtag Wally and the Thought, and be sure to tag at Napoli's Cafe underscore, and uh, yeah, get them in. Are we announcing this one on the live show, or is this going to be probably next week? Uh, I'll do it on the live show. Which by okay, we'll the announce the okay, we'll announce the winner on the live show. I love it. We'll do that. So tune in. Yeah, on Friday. Hey, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, Friday 8 p.m. We're going to do a live draft show, Matt. So put this in your calendar. 8 p.m. the draft and we're going to go live uh we have some guests lined up we're going to try and give away some free stuff uh we're going to talk 
uh, about the draft, obviously the picks that go through to the first 10. So once Ottawa makes their 10th pick, uh, we are headed to the bar. Um, and so we would uh, like you to tune in and see how this all plays out. And we'll, uh, we'll have some fun stuff to do along the yeah, way. It'll so, be fun. We'll have a good yeah, time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Meth will have his great scouting guide available on Mason McTavish. I am then, uh, going to be drinking whitewater <laughs> beers and I'm telling you, that you think my getup today is aggressive. Wait till I have yeah. a couple beers in me and we're talking about the draft. There's going to be a lot of weird things happening. I like it. I, I see Maddie Sens taking this picture of you and doing something with it. So I look forward to whatever is going to... It's kind of... Tra- you look like Terminator. My wife hates these glasses. These were my backup <laughs> Ray-Bans. She's like, I look like... I don't know. I look like one of those weird dudes. You know, like those random display pics of a guy in the car, like those mm. MAGA accounts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really it's 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 odd i but it's all i have and i'm too cheap to go buy a new pair so i'm kind of keep poli- them. police police sketch artisty a little yeah bit too, right? and it's i'm like, not doing it on purpose. i just yeah. i've got i've got a big head right so i need big frames and this was this kind of fit the bill when i thought okay, it was man. a good idea to buy them and i think i got them at an outlet cheap. i've probably in florida boss. i feel like uh there's a missing body in manatic somewhere right now that's all i'm saying <laughs> all right uh listen if you like our show uh please like and subscribe it and uh we'll we'll see you again next time friday 8 p.m uh join us uh live and uh meth as always that's the wally method show powered by barhaven ford and craig time for us to drive on out of here Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.